You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with Adam Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and, of course, I will answer as many as I can. So Yom Kippur was yesterday. So I hope all of you that made it to synagogue, I hope you had a very inspirational Yom Kippur. And now, it's just amazing in the calendar, we go straight from Yom Kippur into the Sukkot holiday. And there's a reason why this is the order. You have Rosh Hashanah, that Rosh Hashanah is the sort of beginning preparation for Yom Kippur. And then we ask God for forgiveness, God forgives us. Now we're ready for the happiest holiday of the year, the Sukkot holiday, the next show we'll talk about Sukkot. Today, I figured I missed Yom Kippur to talk about it last week. We're doing Rosh Hashanah. So um, we're going to try to get into Yom Kippur today. But it is interesting to note that Yom Kippur is considered one of the happiest days of the year. The other day happens to be Tuba of the 15th of Av. A lot of uh, special things happen for the Jewish people. A lot of them seem to revolve around getting married. Um, but Yom Kippur and Tuba of, which we're not talking Tuba of today, but at least we're talking Yom Kippur, these are the happiest days. Now, we understand we're being judged, final judgment, final decision by God. Did you fix up what, uh, what you had done wrong? Did you ask forgiveness? Um, the whole gamut, which we'll get into what Yom Kippur is all about. But the question is, what makes it such a happy day? So I was thinking, um, for those who remember, um, many, many years ago, really many years ago, there was this football player called O.J. Simpson. And he played for the Bills. And my father was from Buffalo, and uh, that was his team. And he was a great running back for a pretty horrible team. I don't really remember, but that's the gist of it. And then he did a bunch of commercials for, um, for a rental car company. It would run through the airports. If you remember, you don't remember, fine. Anyways, and then he was accused of murdering his wife. And the lawyers on the prosecution seemed to be pretty inept. And the, it seems there were problems with just, the, just how all the, uh, the gloves and the blood, who knows? I, I don't know. Whatever it was, this trial of O.J. Simpson, and he had great lawyers, um, the whole country was involved. I think it started when the police were looking for him, and he was in that white uh, Ford Bronco, and they emptied out the highway, and the police were chasing him, and, and they were giving him space, and he was turning himself in. Like, the whole country was very into this O.J. Simpson trial, very into it. And the jury finally got the case, and everybody knew that the jury was just about done deliberating. And it happened to be that that day was the day 
before Yom Kippur. Everybody was paying attention. Everybody. I remember in my house, we were also paying attention. Radio, whatever. And I, I think in California, they were nervous there were going to be riots. But at the end of the day, uh, the jury comes back, not guilty. And the world, or at least America, went crazy. Like, whoa, he was innocent, and everybody was sure he was guilty. And forget what happened in the, in the civil suits afterwards, and the rest of his life was just a dumpster fire. But let's, let's re-look at this story for a second. Imagine for a second that you are sitting in the courtroom, and you are in OJ's shoes. And your life is in the balance. Right? They say you're guilty, you're in jail, it's over. They say you're innocent, you go home. Right? So you are nervous. This is very, very serious. And then they come out and they say innocent. You are the happiest person ever. There can't be a happier day. I mean, lots of good things happen to people. Just imagine how happy, excited, relieved you feel. So that is one angle on a very, we'll call it even a low level of what Yom Kippur is all about, right? And God says, it's really easier because God says, repent, and I'm telling you, I'll forgive you. God's telling you, just come to me. Tell me you did something wrong. Tell me really mean that you're, you're going to improve. And God says, I'll forgive you. Way easier than relying on 12 jurors, you have no idea what they could decide, right? It's completely out of your hands. Yom Kippur is completely within your power to decide your outcome. How relieved could a person be? He made mistakes, did things wrong, sinned, uh, wasn't nice to people, wasn't nice to God. And God says, I'll let you ask me for forgiveness and, and, and you'll be good to go, right? So that, the attitude has to become that it's amazing how kind God is to me to give me this opportunity to just whitewash, to get a complete forgiveness on everything I did. So we're going to get into the details of how this works. Um, but of course, we always uh, like to remind everyone, to all my dedicated listeners, I know you love the show and I need your help, right? To help the show spread, I need you to go to my home page, hit that donate button. We have a couple levels over there. Leave a name. I'll give you a shout out. We can do in memory of happy birthday, and in advance, I thank you all for your help. Okay, so in the Yom Kippur prayer, um, one of the highlights in the um, what's called Musaf, there's this famous prayer called Nisana Tokef. We probably mentioned in the past there was Rav uh, Amnon. He was a, a, a rabbi. I'm, I'm saying in the 1200s. I could be off 100 years in either direction. Um. And there was a bishop in town that used to harass this Amnon to, um, to convert. And if Amnon had to fight with him, he's a bishop. He, he calls you in. You got to go in. And he just made him crazy. And one time, if Amnon just wanted to be left alone. So he said, you know, give me a few days to think about it. And the bishop said, no problem. If Amnon goes home and he, he's sick, he said, I can't believe that that bishop would believe that I would convert. And he was in bed. He was just sick. And he didn't return a few days later. So the bishop sends his soldiers, knocks on the door. If Amnon is sick, they carry him to the bishop's palace. 
And if Amnon says, uh, um, I'm sorry I didn't come back, um, I apologize, but I misled you. I, I told you I'll think about it. I had no intention of thinking about it. Um, I didn't mean to think about it. So you should cut out my tongue for, for, not, uh, for not responding honestly. So the bishop says, oh, your tongue was good, but your feet um, didn't bring you back. So there's different versions in the story, but he cut off his feet in pieces, maybe cut off his hands, um, trying to convince him, force him to convert. If Amnon obviously was not saying yes, and they send him back in a bed basically to go home and die. So a few days later, I don't know exactly in the story, again, it's not so clear, but within a few days or a week or two, um, it's Rosh Hashanah, and he asks that his bed be brought into the synagogue, and he composes this famous prayer called Nisanatokef. It's very famous with, with the Chazanim. Um, it's, it's a, there's different songs and pieces, very beautiful, very moving. Um, the, the basics is, is that the goddess is, is there judging everyone and, and everyone is, is trembling, the angels and people, and one at a time goes in front of God and, and basically you write your own, um, your own, I don't want to say edict, but you write your, your, whether you're guilty or innocent, it's your handwriting. You're, and there's no denying, there's no playing games, it's all clear. And, and that's the, the gist of it, which again, it's a very moving feeling piece. At the very end of the piece, it talks about that there's three things that save a person from the decree. One is prayer, one is repentance, and one is charity, which we're going to talk about. Now, then if Amna was brought home, he dies uh, soon afterwards. He comes back to a student. He teaches the student in a dream the prayer that he composed. And that student, uh, I guess, spread it around. It became part of the liturgy. And now, it's not all of our prayers go all the way back to the Second Temple when the prayers are being created. Um, some of those prayers were pieces of poetry added along the line. For the most part, no one's adding new poetry nowadays. You know, somebody by me uh, made it sound like they want to add new poetry, but no one's adding new poetry nowadays. We, we have what we call our machzer. But there was poetry over the ages that did get added in. There's different parts of prayers, different times. We find certain prayers written by great sages, um, were just accepted. They were just universally accepted. And, uh, and that Nisanatokov is one of them. Anyways, so he says there's these three things that protect us from a harsh decree. One is prayer, one is repentance, and one is charity. So prayer should be the easiest one. First of all, that's the beauty of Yom Kippur. It was the theme of, I spoke a few times, once in Rosh Hashanah, once in Yom Kippur, and my theme was that, that Yom Kippur is not a day we dread. A lot of people have to fast, you're in synagogue the whole day. It's the wrong attitude. The attitude of Yom Kippur is that God wants to talk to me. He's right here. He has all the time in the world. I'm anyways going to be in synagogue all day, not doing anything else. So now is your opportunity to just you and God. Just talk. Prayer is the way we talk to God. Can you 
say your own words? Of course you could say your own words. You can say whatever you want. The, the prayer is the prayer. We're going to say the prayer is in the book. But if you want to add your own conversation, go right ahead. That's the whole point, right? When I pray to God, I'm talking to God. I'm recognizing that God takes care of me and I need God. And, and the prayer, it's very emotional and it's an emotional time and it's a beautiful time, right? Because I can say whatever I want. And you want to say God is stuck there listening? You could say that. I'm not sure if that's the way you want to phrase it, but if that makes you happy, it works for me. So prayer is your connection, your personal connection with God. You want to pay attention. You want to space out. Right? Like I know myself throughout the day, like I, I look at the day and say, there's only eight hours left. Not that, oh, I can't wait for eight hours. And eight hours from now I can eat. No, no. I got eight hours left. Let's, let, let me use my time properly. I have 24 hours. I have eight hours. I have three hours. I have 45 minutes. How much time do I have left? And the goal is to take advantage of the day. Some take advantage. Some don't take advantage. But again, what we started the show with, if we understand that this is a day that I get to, me and God have a conversation, that's an opportunity. That's a happy day. Right? The king doesn't say too often, please hang out with me as, as, as much as you'd like. Now, I always tell over, I tell my class, the famous uh, Dubna Magid, um, again, to give us a concept of prayer, right? And a concept of, of repentance, which will help us. So in the prayers, there's what we call the Ashamnu and the Alchaitz, where I'm going to bang my chest when I list off how I sinned. There's the, the basic and then you add your own if there's specific things you want to list. Most of the list is not specific. It's way more general. There are a couple of specific sins, stealing, right? But, uh, but for the most part, the, the sins we're discussing are in a general way, and that's all-inclusive. So each time we say we did something wrong, we bang our chest to say that I am responsible for what I did wrong. Um... It says we, one of the things we read on Yom Kippur is the story of Yonah, right? Everybody knows Yonah and the fish, right? So Yonah was trying to run away from God. He didn't want to tell the city of Nineveh that they were sinners. And we're not getting into that story right now. But he goes on a boat to run away from God. And God makes this humongous storm. And the sailors are panicking. And Yonah actually goes to the bottom floor of the ship because he knows it's him, like, like, He's not, why would I be nervous if I know it's all because of me and I, I, I don't really care? Um, anyways, when they do lotteries to see who's guilty and falls on Yonah, he says, of course it's me. Right? He didn't try to defend himself. Right? Most people, when we accuse them of doing something wrong, their first thought is, it's not my fault. First, it's not my fault. Now let's figure out why it's not my fault. But Yonah didn't do that. He took full responsibility. And when we're banging on our chest on Yom Kippur, that's exactly what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to say, I'm the guilty one. It's completely my fault. I am responsible. So interesting, when we bang our chests, when we say we did something wrong, there's a famous Dubna Magad. Dubna Magad would say parables. He would go from town to town to speak. And some of his most famous parables revolve around the High Holidays. And the other thing is, um, in many of his parables, there's 
the farmers and there's the city folk. And in the parables, the farmers were always um, not so intelligent. Like, I guess we have our hillbilly jokes or whatever. The farmers were not intelligent and the city folk were intelligent. That's just how he told the story. In any case, so a, a villager, a farmer goes to the big city and he's, he's sleeping and all of a sudden he's woken up by the beating of drums. He goes outside, they're beating drums and banging away and banging, boom, boom, boom. And he asks, like, what's going on? So he told him, there's a fire. And when there's a fire, we bang the drums. So the farmer, who doesn't know very much, says, wow, in the big city, they don't use water to put out a fire. They use drums. The new science, amazing. Goes back to his village, tells the villagers, and they all they get some big drums together. The next time there's a fire, sure enough, they're banging away. There's a city person in the in the village, and he says, "Aren't you guys going to put out the fire?" So I said, "Come on, you big you city people, this is how you put out fires." So the city person says, "You fools, the drum is just the fire alarm. It's just to get the firemen and the populace to come and put out the fire." But the drum's not putting out the fire. And that the Dubnamagid would use as a parable to explain when we're praying and we're repenting, right? Banging our chest is not a full repentance. Banging our chest says you did something wrong. Okay, so now what? Right? What do you mean? So you did something wrong and what are you going to do about it? So the bang of the drum is to say there's a fire. We got to put out the fire. Okay? So that's the rules of repentance. First, I have to admit I did something wrong. That's part one. And I have to say, right, I'm, I feel bad I did something wrong. Right? It can't be I did something wrong and I'm not sorry. What would be the point of that? I did something wrong. I feel terrible. I'll try not to do it again. Or I won't do it again. It's really more correct. And then, then I say, okay, God, so please forgive me. Right? It's a process. That's what repentance is all about. I mean, there's levels, and each level will erase, dull, affect um, what I did wrong. But obviously, the goal is to erase it from the record. Okay, you got to work hard to erase it from the record. You got to really show you're not doing this anymore, and you really feel bad that you did it. And you're not doing it again, and you're asking God for forgiveness. That's the, that's the repentance part of the coin of this, these three things that we said must be done, these three things that must be done to make sure that no harsh decree is aimed at me, right? So first is prayer. Second is repentance. And interesting enough, third is charity. So there's a... As what is charity? I mean, I get the first two, right? I got to talk to God, and I got to tell God I did something wrong. So why is the third one charity, right? Like... Um, just pick any command. Go honor your parents. Go study some Torah. Go visit a sick person in the hospital. Right? The prayer is specific. It doesn't say, I have to repent, I have to pray and repent and do good deeds. Right? It specifically says, I have to pray, repent, and do charity. And a lot of people, and a lot of people by the way, are very, very good that's why charity becomes a big thing around the holidays. So there's an interesting 
concept, and we've said this story in the past, this story is always worth repeating, and that is, as a concept, that charity is so powerful, charity has the power to save a person from death. What's the story? The story is with the great Rabbi Akiva. So Rabbi Akiva must have met some type of witch or something, and she told him, your daughter is going to die on the day of her wedding. And for some reason, and that doesn't say why, Rabbi Akiva put some stock into this story. It doesn't say why. I don't know why. Maybe he saw that she had some power. I don't know. Constellations. I don't know. Whatever it was. Anyways, um, so the day of Rabbi Akiva's daughter's wedding, you can be sure he's got guards and people checking and seeing what's going on and checking the food and checking who's around, anything to protect his daughter. But the coast is clear. Anyways, um, it seems the next morning, um, a scream comes from Rabbi Akiva's daughter's tent. So it comes running, what's going on? And uh, in the tent, I guess it was a regular tent, it must have been a wall, um, her hairpin was stuck into the wall, and, it, it, and the pin had gone right through a snake. It was a poisonous snake basically hanging on the wall with a pin that had been stuck into the wall. Oh, she, she played with her hair, she took a pin and stuck it into the wall. So Akiva told his daughter, you know, I was told that you were going to die the day of your wedding. That snake was supposed to kill you. Please tell me, you must have done something very, very special that you're not dead. What did you do? So she says, well, you know, um, by the wedding, um, there was a poor person that was like by the front gate and no one noticed him. I noticed him and he was very hungry and I took my portion and I gave it to him. Now, I always explain when we say over this story, it's not like nowadays that if you give away your portion, you call into the kitchen, they got 800 more portions. They've always got food. When she gave away her portion, that's it. She's not eating. So this is real charity because it's charity that cost her. It's charity that cost her. So she gave charity. So Akiva told his daughter, charity saves from death. The only reason you're still alive, the only reason you're still alive is because you gave charity. So the power of charity is so, so amazing that if we want to if we want a good year, we want to protect ourselves. If uh, maybe there's a decree out there against us, so you got to have prayer. And you got to have repentance. But charity, throwing that in is so powerful, which again is why people are very into giving charity. You should just see the emails in my email box. Uh, people are very into charity during the high holidays. So with my minute and a half left, so a very interesting story. Um, there was a talking about uh, uh, some, you know, it's about uh, this is not repentance, but this is just a way of acting. It's a good, you know, it's a good uh, Yom Kippur story. So the guy was on the bus, very hard of hearing. It was a, a bus in Israel, and he was wearing a cap and he had a jacket, and he made somebody nervous. Somebody looked at him, thought he was an Arab, he was acting strange. So he starts, you know, people start trying to talk to him to see who he is, but he can't hear them because he's deaf. 
and uh, people are getting more and more nervous, and they tell the bus driver, we think there's a terrorist on the bus. Can you, can you stop the bus and get this guy off? So the bus driver goes, stops the bus, goes over to him, and he realizes the guy is very, very hard of hearing. So he realizes total miscommunication. He didn't dress the part of a regular person, and he was deaf and a complete misunderstanding. But when the deaf guy figured out what was going on, he was so insulted, and it was before Yom Kippur, and he told the guy who started the whole thing, I don't forgive you. And the guy said, come on, I was misunderstanding, I didn't mean it, how could you do this to me, please, please. No, I don't forgive you. He went to his rabbi, and he told his rabbi uh, what happened. The rabbi said, let me meet the guy. So the guy comes to meet the rabbi, and it turns out that he's a very, uh, he's a captain. He, uh, he doesn't let things slide, right? He's very, almost like everything is judgmental. This is the way it is. You do something wrong, you have to get punished. And the music is playing. But the rabbi convinced him to give in, and because he gave in, he, it's another long story. He got married, but we're going to have to end it here. The music is playing. Hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you to the sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have Cisco in the back this week. I hope I left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.